Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church podcast, where we share weekly sermons from our church services. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. We are a multi-generational family church located in the heart of Little Rock. Calvary's mission is to glorify God by making disciples who make disciples. Whether you've long been part of our church family or are tuning in for the first time, we hope our podcast provides the same kind of welcoming space you'd find here on Sunday mornings. Most of all, we hope this space helps you engage God's Word and grow in your faith. Well, let me just first say thank you so much to a wonderful church family. It's an honor for Mona and I to be um, your pastor, and I guess we can call her the First Lady. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, God, we knew when we met the committee, of course, our previous experience at Calvary, that this was a special family. And that's who we are. We're a family of faith, but truly a special family. And um, it's just an honor to be part of the family again. Um, Today is a special day as well because uh, it's the last sermon in the Exodus series. This is the finale today. And we started this back uh, last August, at the end of August. And so we've run the course. And I hope it's been as good for you as it's been for me. I've really enjoyed Exodus. Today I'm going to talk about uh, five discipleship principles, my top five discipleship principles from the book of Exodus. But some of you have asked, you know, well, what's next? What are we going to do next, Pastor? Well, what's next is actually going to be a wonderful series. It's going to be a three-week series that I'm simply calling our Next Generation Series. And I'm actually not going to be the one bringing the message each week. We have three of Calvary's own Next Generation leaders who are going to do that. On August the 6th, three weeks from now, uh, Garrett Lindzen, Garrett, will bring up the, uh, the, the finale of that series. And Garrett, of course, is our next-gen pastor here, our fearless leader. He'll talk about his vision, share his heart with us on that day. And then the week before that, July 30th, we have Ben Coulter, who is going to uh, be sharing. Ben has come back to Calvary with his wife, Sheffield, and family. Ben is the new um, Metro BCM leader, Baptist Campus Ministry leader here in Little Rock, and has this incredible vision for college students on 10 different campuses all over our Metroplex. So Ben uh, is actually, Ben and Sheffield are going to start a college ministry Sunday school class, Bible study class in the fall. And so that's a huge answer to prayer. And so Ben's going to bring the message on July 30th. And then next Sunday, July 23rd, Hayden Walker is going to bring our message. And Hayden is the teacher of the One Accord Sunday School class, which is our 20-something class. And, um, and uh, just a, a wonderful, gifted team of ministers of the gospel that God has entrusted to us. So it's going to be wonderful. What I'm going to do each week is I'm going to interview, or actually the week before they speak, I'm going to interview each of these three gifted ministers, leaders of our next-gen ministry. So with that in mind, I want to go ahead and invite Hayden, if you'll come up here and join me on the platform. 
All right, if you don't know Hayden, here she is. You need to get to know her. Hayden um, is a very uh, experienced, credentialed, and gifted minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, Hayden actually went to Washita and earned a bachelor's in biblical studies and then also a bachelor's degree in communication. She was a double major there. I get to claim uh, just a small part of credit for her talent and success because I was actually on the Christian studies faculty when Hayden was there. She graduated in 2009. Then she went from Washita and she earned her Masters of Divinity from Beeson Seminary in Birmingham, Alabama. Served on a staff, uh, in a church in the Birmingham area for seven years, uh, Mountain Brook Church, and was the student pastor there. Also worked for the Dr. Robert Smith Jr. Uh, Preaching Institute. Institute, right, at Beeson. And uh, if you don't know uh, Dr. Smith, he's a fabulous preacher and professor of preaching. And so Hayden actually directed or was an assistant director for that program for a few years. So very accomplished minister, very gifted. We're blessed to have you at Calvary. Why don't we start by letting you introduce your family? I think they're up on the screen. So why don't you introduce them to us? Well, this is my precious family. Cody and I have been married for 14 years. 10 of those which we spent in Birmingham. And then our two sweet boys, Rhett is five and Harrison uh, just turned three. They keep us on our toes. (laughs) What a wonderful family. Uh, We're so, so grateful for Cody and you, Hayden, and these boys. Just, um, if you don't know them yet, you need to get to know them. Very, very special uh, family. So, Hayden, why don't we start by just letting you share a little bit about your, your call to ministry. How did that come about? Well, when I was a young teenager, Jesus really captivated my heart. And I um, wanted everybody around me to know this incredible news of the gospel. And so as an eighth grader, I started leading Bible studies and um, at school, and um, I just had this hunger, desire, passion um, for Jesus and the scriptures and wanted to teach that to others. My calling to ministry unfolded over time. Um, I had a very influential mentor in my life, um, different people who discipled me and poured into me. And so my calling unfolded through my years at OBU. And then um, during my time in seminary, I saw this as this vocational call to lifelong ministry that looks different in different seasons of life. Um, Mm. And so my calling really is to equip, teach, disciple, um, speak the gospel in whatever avenues the Lord provides. Amen. Amen. And you do it, you do it well. Um, I've talked a little bit about some of your past ministries, but what's God led you to be part of? Now, I know you're doing a lot here at Calvary, but fill us in on some of the things that God has opened up for you right now. Well, here at Calvary, certainly teaching our One Accord group is um, an important part of ministry at the moment, but also the Lord um, has opened up opportunities for me to speak at various conferences, events, retreats, Um, and so I travel and do that pretty regularly as the Mm -hmm. Lord allows, so that is... um, that's the bulk of my ministry at the moment. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And you're going back to Beeson, I understand, for a conference. I am, yeah. 
this summer, right? Have a women's uh, ministry conference in um, August coming up really soon. Yeah. So good. So good. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about next generation ministries. First of all, I just want to hear from you as um, a mother of two young children, uh, a young family. By the way, you're an answer to prayer as many of our young families. If you're here and you're a young family, we've been praying that God would bring back young families to Calvary so we can truly be this intergenerational church that we believe is part of who we're, we're called to be. So tell us how we can come alongside you and Cody as a young couple in, a, in our church, 30-somethings, right, and children. How can we help you and, uh, as you disciple your kids and serve the Lord? I think programmatically, we're doing a really great job here at Calvary. I think we've got awesome children's programming. I think Rhett and Harrison's Sunday school teachers are phenomenal. Um, But as we continue to grow as a church, um, grow younger, I think we'll need more hands um, serving in those ways, um, investing in our kids directly, but also as we have a larger view of what discipleship actually looks like and uh, Deuteronomy kind of six idea of parents discipling their children in the home, I think pouring into um, families, into couples, um, providing them spiritual growth and rest opportunities is vital to our own spiritual health that is kind of an overflow into our kids. Um, When we're spiritually healthy, we have the capacity to pour into and disciple our children. Right, right. So good. Well, there's our challenge. We, we want to keep doing this for you and Cody and others like you and, um, and just grow these young children up into um, just to mature believers, disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tell us a little bit about your Sunday school class, the One Accord class, these 20-somethings. What do we need to know about these people? Well, they're awesome. <laughs> if you don't know them, you need to get to know them. Um, we have a wonderful group um, that has really flourished and come about over the last year. Um, there have been Sundays that we have over 30 people in our class. We've moved four different times because we keep kind of expanding through our spaces. But this is a group of people that um, is, is diverse. Uh, we have single, married, um, college students, parents, all across the spectrum in law school, grad school, med school, working first jobs, kind of building um, those foundational blocks of their life. It's a transitional time for a lot of people that they may not be here for a long season, but we want to invest well um, while we can. And I would just encourage you to um, introduce yourself and get to know um, a couple of these folks. And maybe I I know when you're in your 20s, you won't turn down a meal. So take them out to dinner, (laughs) cup of coffee, something. And um, that's the beauty of this church, right? Is that we are seeking to be intentionally intergenerational. Mm -hmm. And so to be like a family, to be like a set of parents or grandparents, um, invest and get to know um, some of this younger group. Mm. You know, this is Billy was uh, another prayer that we had is uh, we, we felt like when, when I came and worked with the council and some of the ministry leaders and the staff, we just began to pray that the Lord would bring us some young people, young adults, because again, it was a missing demographic at Calvary. Ryan uh, Perkins kind of took the lead, and uh, he and Landon worked together. They started our young adult ministry and got it uh, launched and really, uh, really started f- almost from scratch. And the Lord has just blessed us with so many people, and then Garrett has come alongside and 
kind of shaped the vision and then God brought us Hayden and, uh, and others. And it's just been really, really beautiful. So God's moving, God's working and the type of young people he's bringing us is so exciting. So exciting. So, well, I've got one final question. Why Calvary? Why did you and Cody decide to plant your family here at Calvary Baptist Church, Little Rock? Well, the main reason was really theological alignment. Um, as a woman called to ministry, I knew that this would be a place that I had space to serve the kingdom. Um, and so that was very important to us. Um, also, just the draw of family and community, the intergenerational character of this church, that not everyone is, you know, a cookie cutter, exact same life stage, um, is really beautiful. And then also, as we've just honored Scott, I, you're an incredibly gifted pastor and expositional preacher. We are studying through the scriptures together, and I think that is what forms people's um, faith, that just that steady diet of um, being in scripture. And so Calvary, the first Sunday that we came in and Miss Becky greeted us, um, we were like, this is it. This is, this is home. We found the place. Amen. Amen. And we're grateful. Um, well, speaking of preaching, uh, next week, you're going to be bringing the word of God before us. Um, any preview you want to, or you just want to keep us in suspense? What? Well, uh, we're going to be in the Minor Prophets, which is going to be really fun, Zechariah oh. chapter 4. Um, but, but it's kind of, I uh, feel like what the Lord has put in my heart um, of, for our younger generation and a vision for what mm. God is doing in us and among Amen. us. Amen. Amen. Well, let me just say, I'm really looking forward to hearing Hayden bring uh, the Word of God next week. Um, and let me just, as, as your pastor, I'm going to give a little uh, prophetic prediction here. You don't want to miss next week because next week you're probably going to hear the best sermon you've heard at Calvary in years. <laughs> and so uh, we're excited for that. Thank you so much, Hayden. Let's join in me in thanking the Lord for Hayden. All right, well, let's, um, we're going to be pretty quick on this, so um, got a lot of exciting things still to do in terms of looking at Exodus, though. Um, we're going to be looking at different passages, so if you have your Bible, just kind of be prepared to jump around a little bit. Again, this is an overview message. It's my top five discipleship principles from the book of Exodus. And even though this is an Old Testament book, like all of the Old Testament, it sets the stage for Christ and for us as Christ followers, as disciples of Jesus Christ. So we can learn these principles and then bring them into to the New Testament and then into our lives today. So here we go. Principle number one, uh, God uses imperfect, inadequate and very ordinary people to do extraordinary things. We see that in the book of Exodus, and in particular, in the life of Moses. Remember this guy, Moses. When we first meet him in the early chapters of Exodus, he was a fugitive, had committed murder in Egypt, 
and was, had to leave the country, leave the country he grew up in, and had lived as a nomad in a, in a desert environment for many, many years. And when God called him, if you remember in those early chapters, Exodus 3, the burning bush experience, and then also Exodus 4, Moses really did not want the job. He did everything he could, made every excuse in the world not to take it. And the reason was he felt completely inadequate. Can't talk, don't want to go back to Egypt, wanted man. Lord, please, look at Exodus chapter 4. It just kind of summarizes this conversation with God. Exodus chapter 4, verse 13, he says to God, after all of these other excuses, he says, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. And if you follow the tone of that, you could add a few other pleases. Please, Lord, please, please, please send somebody else. I do not want to do this. I'm unqualified. I'm inadequate. I'm imperfect. And all of that was true. But God did not let him off the hook, nor will he let us off the hook when he calls us to do something. And eventually Moses submitted to that call. And what we see through the book of Exodus is Moses starting from this person who really barely knew God and had little to no commitment to God suddenly begins to grow. And when we get to the end of Exodus, he's this really a, a giant in the faith. He is a hero of the faith. He's truly, from a spiritual perspective, has grown astronomically. I love the passage at, uh, in Exodus 33, verse 17, when we see a lot of this growth. And in verse uh, 17, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked. Moses asked him to show him his glory, an amazing thing. And he said, Because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. What God is really saying to Moses is, you're my friend. We're close. We're connected. And I'm so pleased. And so one of the things we need to understand is we can start where we're at with all of our imperfections, inadequacies, ordinariness, and we can be like Moses. We can grow up in the faith. Two things Moses did. If I were just to kind of summarize what I see in his life that contributed to his spiritual growth, two basic things. One was obedience to the Lord, and two was pursuit of God, time with God. If we do those same two things, we too will grow in the Lord. Obedience. What we see after Moses submitted was he began to, to obey. When the Lord gave him an assignment, even a tough assignment, he did it. No questions asked. If you and I, when we read the word of God, he gives us instructions. He gives us assignments. He tells us what to do and what to not, not to do. A key to spiritual growth and maturity is obedience. But the other thing we see as we get closer and closer to the end of the book is Moses is drawing very, very close and spending intentional time with God. In fact, you remember at Mount Sinai, he actually takes eight different trips up and down the mountain. What's he doing when he goes up there? He's worshiping the Lord. He's communing with the Lord. He's praying to the Lord. 
He's receiving instructions from the Lord. He's spending time, intensive, focused, committed time with the Lord. And it develops his faith astronomically, and they become extremely close. If Moses could do this, you and I can do this. And we need to do this. That's life principle, discipleship principle number one. Principle number two is our all-powerful, all-good God will provide for and protect his people. But during the process, he wants to grow their faith. He wants to grow our faith. He wants to grow your faith. And we see that in the story of the Israelites. Case in point, remember, after God finally convinces Pharaoh to let his people go, they leave Egypt and they're traveling to the promised land. They make it as far as the Red Sea. And at the Red Sea, suddenly uh, they're kind of hemmed in. There's the Red Sea on one side. We believe there were kind of two mountains on, on each side of them. And then suddenly they look behind them and they see the Egyptian army coming after them. Y'all remember that story? And it was terrifying. And it was unbelievably scary. And because they had no weapons, the most powerful army in the world was coming after them and was angry. It was a hopeless situation. But look what Moses says to them in Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And so what happens through this experience is a test of faith. And when they listen to Moses and they trust the Lord, what does he do? He parts the Red Sea and they get to walk through on dry land with a wall of water on their left and a wall of water on their right. And then the Egyptian army foolishly goes in after them and the waters cave in on top of them and they drown. They're gone. God has fought for his people. He will fight for you and he'll fight for me, but he often doesn't make it easy, does it? Does he? We'll go through challenges that stretch our faith. He'll put us on the edge where we have to trust him. You keep reading the story and just in other places, uh, we read like in Exodus 15, they went three days without water after leaving the Red Sea. They're in this hot, barren, rugged, dry desert, three days without water. And as a former outdoor leader, that is a life-threatening situation. A person can go approximately three days without water and then it becomes a life and death scenario, a survival situation. And they probably went about three weeks without food. We get to Exodus 16 and they say, we're starving out here. That's also one of the survival principles. A person can go approximately three weeks without food and then they're in a life-threatening survival situation. Why did God do it that way? Why did he not just kind of miraculously give Philip their water bottles before they left the Red Sea? Why did he not just stack their food or give them the food early all along the way? Well, he does what he does for you and me. 
He lets us go through the hardships of life, difficulties of life, suffering of life. Why? Because then we have to really look to him. We have to seek him. We have to ask him to take care of us. We have to lean into him. And when we do that and then we see him provide, like he provided water for them, you know, which would have really been like a lake to take care of two million plus people. God does that in the desert. He provides food every morning. Eventually shows up like dew on the ground, the manna. What did that do for the people? It grew their faith. And God wants to do the same for you and me. You're probably going through something right now, a lot of you. We live in this fallen, broken, messed up, hurtful, painful world full of suffering, full of evil, full of sin. And we're part of that. And yet in the midst of whatever you're going through, you need to understand it's an opportunity. It's really a test of faith. Just like James 1 says, consider it joy when you go through various trials of many kinds because it's a testing of your faith. And what's eventually going to happen is it produces perseverance in your faith, spiritual perseverance, which produces spiritual maturity, which completes you. That's what James 1 says. And so if we let God take us through the hardships and lean into him and trust him, our faith will grow. And what's he growing it for? Not just the here and now. You realize what he's doing with all this stuff? He's preparing you for eternity. God doesn't want you to show up in heaven as a very young, immature believer. He wants you to show up in heaven with a very mature faith. That's important. And that's what he is doing with the struggles of life. We see that in Exodus. He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. But he's going to let you go through hardship. Just like he's going to let me go through hardship. Why? To grow our faith. A third principle is that God's covenant law, as summarized by the Ten Commandments, teaches us how to love God and love people. It's first in Exodus, it's the first place that we actually receive the covenant law. God gives it to Moses to give to the people and the covenant law is summarized by the 10 commandments. Where do we first see the 10 commandments in scripture? It's in Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. And then later it's repeated in Deuteronomy chapter five, the 10 commandments. Well, these 10 commandments are very special because they are spoken directly to God's people by God himself at Mount Sinai. Very unique. And then later, they're also very special because God inscribed them on stone tablets by his own finger, wrote them by the finger of God. Very unique. And then Moses gave these tablets to the people. So the Ten Commandments are basically teaching us core principles about loving God and loving people. Loving God, loving our neighbor. You know, Jesus on one occasion was asked by these experts of the law who loved to debate. And one of their big debates in their day was, what's the greatest of all the commandments? They had identified 613 commandments in the Old Testament. 613, what's the greatest? 
Well, no doubt, almost all of them would have chosen one of the 10 commandments as the greatest. And they would have built their case on that. So they were, they asked that question of Jesus. They were expecting him to choose one of the 10. What did Jesus do? Well, he didn't choose one of the 10. He actually summarizes all 10 of them into two commandments. Look what he says in Matthew 22. He says, love, here's the greatest commandment. They asked him that. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. We think about the 10 commandments. First four commandments are all about loving God with all you have. No other gods before me, no graven images or idols. Do not misuse God's name. Remember the Sabbath. Have a special time of worship for God every week. Those are all talking about how do we love God? How do we love him first and most? So love God with all that you have. And then from that love, love your neighbor. And then we have the next six commandments. Honor your father and mother. Do not commit murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet anything your neighbor has. And so he's teaching us, Exodus begins to teach us really these core discipleship principles, love God first and most, pursue him passionately, and then through that love, you can love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. Great discipleship lesson that really gets its start in Exodus. Fourth Discipleship principle, our awesome and perfect God desires to physically dwell with his imperfect people. We see this really in the last 15 chapters of Exodus when we kind of begin to talk about the tabernacle. And God is the one who came up with that idea. And he told Moses, I want you to design a house for me, a portable house, a portable home that I can dwell not just above you, but with you in the middle of you. And that's where the tabernacle was set up in the middle of the Israelite camp in the desert. And then it would move and be transported and anywhere and everywhere they went, God was going to be right in the midst of them. And you see that in Exodus 40, we read it, we studied it last week. It says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This was the move-in day that we talked about last week. God wants to live with his people physically. God is a personal God. He is a relational God. And this is absolutely mind-boggling and mind-blowing that God, the creator of the universe, all-powerful God, all-knowing God, Omnipresent God, he's everywhere at the same time. The God who made everything, created the heavens and the earth, made us in all of our complexities and diversity and intricacies. This God wants to live with you and me intimately. He wants to know us and relate to us and do life with us. What an incredible privilege. I hope you understand the privilege that you and I have. And we see this theme really throughout scripture that God wants to be with his people. In fact, it goes back to the garden of Eden at the very beginning of Genesis 
when God created Adam and Eve, what was he doing? He was in the garden with them, walking with them, talking with them, communing with them in the cool of the day. He was with his people. And then Adam and Eve really messed up. And we joined them. We sinned. And so what happened? Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. And there was a distance between them and God. And so God is constantly, for the rest of the story of the Bible, is putting a rescue plan together so that he can be back among us, with us. And we begin to see that vision again in Exodus, right? He wants to live with the people. We get to the New Testament. What does God do? He sends his one and only son, Jesus, to this earth, the incarnate Jesus, to be fully God and fully man, to live among us, to show us how to relate to a perfect God, to die a sacrificial death in our place for us. God with us. What an incredible privilege. And then when he leaves, what does he do? He sends his Holy Spirit not just to be with us, but within us. Listen to what John 14, 15 through 17 says. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands and I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because he neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. Listen to this. You know him because he lives with you and will be in you. And you've heard me, if you've heard me preach, you've heard me say it quite a bit. One of the greatest miracles in all the Bible is not just that God comes to live with us, but within us. God wants to be with his people. And you go all the way to the end of the story in Revelation 21, where he, have, uh, he creates a new heaven and a new earth. This is our future and what does he say? He says that there in that passage, verse four, he says that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. All of that suffering and hardship in this broken world will be gone one day. Praise God. That's what we look forward to. But the best part about it is told in verse three. And it says, look, God is dwelling his dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's gonna be the best part of heaven is again, we will be physically with our God and experiencing his full glory and all of the brokenness of this world will no longer be part of our experience. It is gonna be oh so good. And that's really a very important principle that we see in Exodus. And then the final principle is that God rescues and saves his people by the blood of the lamb. And in Exodus chapter 12, we read about this last plague that God sent upon the Egyptians. In Exodus 12, verse 21, it says, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select animals for you and your family. Slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land 
to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and he'll pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean? Then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses our houses and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people that bowed down and worshiped. You see, the Passover was something they celebrated every year because they remembered the blood of the lamb that was spread over the door frames. And when God sent that judgment upon the Egyptians, he was looking to see if there was blood in that home. And if he saw the blood of the lamb, he would pass over. No harm would come. But if not, death would come to that family. And that's exactly what happened to the Egyptians. But the Israelites were spared and they never forgot. They always remembered every year at the Passover. And then... About 2,000 years ago, the Israelites came to a very special Passover. And Jesus was there. And on the very last night of his life on this earth, he gathered with his disciples. And like all good Jews, he celebrated the Passover meal. And the Passover meal had the roasted lamb that they would eat had the unleavened bread. They were told to bake that unleavened bread because they were going to be leaving soon. They had to be ready. They didn't have time for the yeast to rise. They had the wine. They had the other elements of the meal. And he gathered with his disciples in the upper room. And he told them, there's a little bit of a change here. This was all kind of looking ahead to another lamb that was coming. And he basically said, now this bread that's before you is going to be my body that's broken for you. And he said, this wine now represents my blood that's about to be shed for you. And what he was telling them is what Revelation says The angels are singing this song about Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, your blood, Jesus, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, his blood has purchased you for God. And we should never forget Thank you for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church podcast. If you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us in person each Sunday morning. Our contemporary worship service is at 9 a.m. and our traditional service is at 11.15. For more information, be sure to check out our website, cbclr.org.